some of our members who just attended the new virtual version of Beloved Conversations will share their experiences with us this morning. Randall Edwards will explain further. Good morning. My name is Randall and welcome to today's service, Beloved Conversations. What is Beloved Conversations, you ask? Beloved Conversations was developed at Meadville Lombard Theological School and they describe it as a program for Unitarian Universalists seeking to embody racial justice as a spiritual practice. In Beloved Conversations, we are here to heal the impact of racism on our lives in order to get free together. That sounds good, doesn't it? They continue. It's a supportive small group ministry that meets people where they are. At the same time, it emboldens participants to be brave and find loving ways to call our communities to their most sacred values of inclusion. The in-person version of Beloved Conversations has been offered in more than 250 congregations across the continent for the past decade. And when we were uh, starting it here at Chalice in 2019, I was blessed to be a co-facilitator. When the pandemic hit and we shut down, the creators asked everyone to stop while they developed a version appropriate for an online format. And this fall, 16 of us from Chalice joined over 1,200 UUs across the United States and Canada for Beloved Conversations Virtual. It was incredible. In Beloved Conversations, we learn that whatever we are, whenever, wherever we are on the path of our learning and growth towards racial justice is fine. It is a lifelong learning and we begin from where we are. Each of us speaking today will shall share a small part of where we were and where we are headed. Please welcome Shannon Anderson, our first member who will be sharing with us this morning. I learned a lot from my experience in Beloved Conversations. I could bend your ear for hours about that experience, as enriching and transformative as it was for me, but there's one thing that stands out to me as most important to share with you today. And that is that I learned how to learn about racism and the role that I play in either supporting it or breaking it down. Though I'm not without my faults or sour moods, I've always considered myself a good person. And as a good person, I couldn't be racist because those two things in my mind just were mutually exclusive. Prior to beloved conversations, I would find myself defending this conception of myself as a good person by not wanting to believe or accept that the systems and organizations I was part of acted in ways that discriminated along racial lines because that would mean that I was complicit and in many cases cooperating with racism. And that just couldn't be because I was a good person. So I would minimize, justify, excuse, ignore, because recognizing that I, in simply going about my daily life without being mindful of how my actions or lack thereof reinforced racism was just too much cognitive dissonance to process. Through beloved conversations, I had a space and a process through which I could begin to work through these discrepancies between my self-conception as a good person 
and the reality that in order to live up to that title, I had to grapple with the racism I had internalized unconsciously throughout my life. And that's not an easy thing, not by a long shot. Beloved conversations gave me the tools to navigate these waters and help me see how necessary self-compassion is to this transformative work. I didn't invent racism, but I was born into a society imbued with it. And I learned a lot of its false tenets and distortions of reality. So the process of unlearning racism has been liberating and humbling, but in an empowering way. I have a lot of work left to do, but thanks to beloved conversations, I feel ready and equipped. So as I was saying, Beloved Conversations Virtual was incredible. Every two weeks for three months, a lesson would be posted with lots of articles, poems, songs, podcasts, sometimes art or movement meditations. And we were encouraged to journal or create a portfolio as a way to reflect on our experiences of the material. Before the next lesson would be posted, we would meet with our learning pod a group of about six people. Some of us were in pods with people we knew, some with folks from different congregations, and some with pods that had a mix of both. We were provided suggested questions to help us dig more deeply and personally into the lessons materials. And I gotta tell you, there was a lot of content in those lessons, but you could do as much or as little as you wanted to and the materials available to us for a year in case we want to go back for anything that we didn't get to. Um, I also got to tell you that those discussions in the learning pods were the most meaningful part for some of us. And speaking of meaning, every month there were also large gatherings for meaning-making sessions. And these were um, more like worship services but I also had some powerful conversations in the breakout room exercises that followed at the end. Oh, one more thing about the structure of Beloved Conversations. For this year's program, this past fall and coming up this spring, the focus is in within work, the personal and individual work that we each need to do, which will help prepare us for next year's focus on among work, working with our congregations to be followed by next year's focus on beyond, working in our communities and in the wider world. And to support this within work, we met in race-based caucuses because the work we need to do is different and the content is different. The curriculum for the Black, Indigenous and People of Color Caucus was called Gathering Ourselves and looked at issues such as the impacts of racism and how race has shaped their personal and communal lives. The White Caucus's work was about learning and unlearning for liberation, described as exploring within ourselves as individual white people, within our family and community systems, and within the system of whiteness, which has impacted and limited our ability to truly be present with and connected to ourselves and our siblings of color. But we get to choose to be and do differently. We get to choose to be and do differently. It sounds simple, it sounds easy. But for me, I confess it's neither. I believe that having conversations and speaking up is critical to, as Ibram X. Kendi said in today's story, transforming society and making equity a reality. 
too often and for too long. I've allowed my conflict avoidant tendencies to rule and let me be quiet. But beloved conversations talked early on about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm not saying I'm comfortable, but I am learning ways to deal with it. And one exercise in particular helped give me grounding. We were asked to imagine an ancestor, even a mythological ancestor to accompany us on this journey and what they would say. Mine told me, don't worry about being afraid. Don't worry about being brave. You have what you need now. Don't wait another second. Reach out, do your work, serve, love, cry, repair, prepare, for soon you will move on. Do what you can now. Do all you can now. Go. 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 And that brings us to the connection with this month's theme, Beloved Community. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. envisioned Beloved Community as a society based on justice, equal opportunity, and love of one's fellow human beings. And there's so far we have to go to make such a world a reality. For me though, everything about Unitarian Universalism calls us to be engaged in trying to make it so. Beloved Conversations Within work is training ground. Part primer, part practice, part empowering inspiration that it can be achieved. And we can help make it so. Hi, I'm Marcy. My critical friend, when I decided to enroll in Beloved Conversations this past fall, I knew that the online version was brand new and it would be quite different from the meet in purpose in person version begun in February 2020, just a couple of months prior to COVID. I was curious how they would adapt this very emotional and sometimes difficult curriculum to a purely online platform. When the introductory lesson dropped, I was surprised by the, the introduction of an idea of a critical friend, someone that you could work with closely on questions stemming from the Beloved Conversations program. I was intrigued by the description the presenters gave of who this critical friend should be. What they described is that it should be a person who knew you well and had a fair understanding of who you were as a person. Now that posed a bit of a problem for me. I don't have many friends I've known since childhood in my life. Most of my close friends I've only known maybe a few years. However, as I thought about it, I did identify someone who I thought might be able to fill that role of critical friend. I was a bit nervous about asking her as it is in my eyes a big responsibility. I was afraid she might refuse that she hadn't known me long enough or well enough, or perhaps she wouldn't be comfortable with the idea. So it was with some hesitation I put my request to my friend. We watched the video explaining what role the critical friend would play. To my delight and relief, she accepted my request, saying she thought it sounded interesting and challenging. Turned out that it was that and so much more. We formed a habit of meeting once a week to discuss the questions 
from the lessons as well as do some other things together that we both enjoyed. The time spent with my critical friend in conversation about the suggested questions turned out to be some of the best times I had in the beloved conversation program. She really came through in spades, thoughtfully considering each question, and her answers led to many follow-up discussions. Uh, my thoughts, her answers, the questions themselves. We also conversed on implicit and institutional racism in general. As a result of our connection due to beloved conversations, we have become much closer and better friends. From my perspective, though, I, I thoroughly enjoyed all aspects of beloved conversations. I think I grew most during my interaction with my critical friend. She helped me to understand my reactions to the lesson, got me thinking about where I fit into the world of whiteness and critical, I'm sorry, racial inequality. Many of the questions suggested for the critical friend required a deeper knowledge of me. And when she was not able to comment on a question, I would instead recount something that had demonstrated my own recollections about the question. This was particularly true when the question had to do with, when have you heard me talk about kind of questions. During one of the discussions, I really thought about my own family who professed to be and actually were liberal and untainted by racism. Yet I could remember things that were said or actions taken that indicated some degree of implicit racism. I remember recoiling from things my father said and thinking I needed to look into my own heart to see if I carried some of his prejudices with me. I knew I didn't want to have negative feelings about people different from me, but I was afraid that because I had been exposed to racial comments, even mild ones, that the experience might taint the way I thought about people of other races and ethnic groups. I first had these thoughts as a high school student in the early 60s and in college, but they came up again. Now through beloved conversations, I have expressed some of these concerns to my critical friend. So today I'm cautious not to carry forward, innocently or not, casual remarks or points of view which uh, BIPOC people may find offensive or cause microaggression. I believe my critical friend also gained from her involvement in beloved conversations as my mirror. Our own connection is much deepened now. We continue to meet regularly, to enjoy activities together, a surprising but very welcome outcome of having experienced beloved conversations. Good morning. My name is Devin True, and I'm here to talk about my experience with the program Beloved Conversations Virtual. Being a Chalice board member, Reverend Nika suggested this program might be a useful thing for me to participate in, racial diversity being an important issue for our denomination. At first, I felt I didn't need such because I had always been opposed to racial discrimination, inequality, and injustice. In my home growing up, I never heard racial slurs or epithets. I believed I was a good white person and that I, and I did not need such training. During my life, I have attended many workshops and trainings on cultural diversity, racial discrimination, and bias. It was a significant subject of study in my undergraduate degree of, in social work. But with Reverend Nika's gentle encouragement, I agreed to participate in this program. 
I must tell you that I was both surprised and distressed by some of the issues presented in the program. Notwithstanding our country's original sin of, of slavery, I found myself being very defensive of my culture and national identity. This program forced me to seriously consider the implicit racism at work in our country and the harm it does to many millions of our citizens. I've spent many hours grappling with the questions and issues raised in this program and my own responsibility in these matters. It was painful at times, but useful too. I cannot say that I agree with all the assertions and strategies that this program propounds. Indeed, the term white supremacy culture hit me wrong, and in my opinion, its use is counterproductive to achieving the goal of racial reconciliation. But white supremacy is a fact. It exists in our culture. It is understandable that to the oppressed, white supremacy is the defining feature of our society. However, it is not the sole defining principle of America. While I've undoubtedly benefited from the privilege of being white, I did not create white supremacy and do not support it. I was born into our existing culture. It was imposed upon me. Through my participation in beloved conversations, I have gained new insights into the issues of race and inequality. My experience with beloved conversations has solidified my belief that reparations for the 400 years of state-sanctioned oppression of Black Americans is the single most important step towards racial reconciliation in our culture and our nation. White households in America have 20 times the wealth of black households. This is a direct result of discriminatory practices and quite literally terrorism imposed upon Amer African Americans. 250 years of uncompensated forced labor and 150 years of kleptocracy enforced by intimidation, lynching and explicit governmental and corporate policies have prevented wealth accumulation in the black community. Since the end of reconstruction in 1877, outright theft of property, farms, and livestock has been the norm in numerous Southern states. Redlining in Northern states has forced blacks into ghettos where property values go down rather than up. We cannot go back in time and undo the lynchings, rapes, and loss of franchise but we can and should acknowledge them and attempt compensation for some of the economic effects of white supremacy. Reparations have been paid before. Japanese victims of internment during World War II were paid money in compensation for their unconstitutional imprisonment and loss of property. During revolutionary times, numerous Northern states paid victims of slavery and uncompensated labor for this atrocity. In the 1950s, Germany paid Israel $7 billion in compensation for the Holocaust. This was nothing close to the real cost of the genocide committed by the Nazi regime, but the fledgling Israeli economy was greatly enhanced by this payment. There are 
many avenues for redress of the issue, including the return of properly wrongfully taken, subsidized mortgages, support for minority businesses, and enhanced education opportunities, to name but a few. For more than 20 years running, Congressman John Conyers has proposed a bill to study the question of reparations for slavery in the ongoing repression of blacks in America. This bill, merely seeking to study the issue, has never reached the floor of the House of Representatives for consideration. The question is so divisive and politically sensitive that it cannot even be raised. I believe. <laughs> Excuse me. I believe it's time for Congress to take up reparations as a first step towards racial reconciliation. I have always known that I was born into and have lived a privileged life. I was raised in a small steelworker town, the daughter of two architects. We lived on a street where the more affluent lived. I was known as a rich girl, even though we were not truly rich. I have always known and never questioned that affluence. Both of my parents were the first in their families to go to college. My maternal grandparents were Italian immigrants who worked hard to send their children to college. My father struggled and wandered until he found his way to Berkeley, a college degree, and my mom. I never questioned that these stories, I never questioned them beyond that they worked hard, that they were brilliant and they got there until now. Beloved Conversations has opened my eyes to the extent of white privilege in our world. While I had a cursory awareness of it, I did not truly understand the depth and breadth of that reality. Each day since the beginning of this program last October, I am struck by a new realization of the effects of white privilege and how our systems, big and small, need to change. I've also been profoundly affected by how my own behavior needs to change. When I first heard someone say, defund the police, my first thought was, that's divisive. There are people who are not going to be able to hear the message. And I believe in the message. It's a good one. By freeing up some of those funds, we can invest in people, in housing, in education, in mental health services, in training and job services, in childcare, just to name a few. We can help communities in need and raise the whole of our society, creating greater equity. But I was really worried about that term. For, my, for me, part of my white privilege is a belief that maybe I know better. My worry was my white privilege talking. For the past several years, I have been working on learning how not to volunteer for everything, to serve on committees, not just in leadership, and in, work to, and in my work to continue my exploration of collaborative creations rather than solo enterprises. 
though a reasonable next step for, for me is what Beloved Conversations calls good followership. I was ready to hear this. Defund the police is not mine. It belongs to Black Lives Matter. I'm a white woman standing on the sidelines. It is theirs and they choose how they will communicate. I am supporting them in their language and actions because I respect them and know that they know best how to handle their own business. I am struggling forward with my white privilege, one baby step at a time. Thank you for listening.